This morning, it's a famous passage. We've been seeing the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching his disciples principles of righteous living. If We've talked about this already. Jesus goes up on the side of the hill. He's got his 12 men with him. He's going to be teaching them, but a large crowd is already there, and everybody's listening. And he's talking about righteous living for those who are in the kingdom. How does one who believes in Jesus Christ, one who belongs, at this stage it would be those who belong in the kingdom, who are in the kingdom, how do we live? And sometimes this passage, or even the Sermon on the Mount, is a little bit confusing. And sometimes there are people who say, well, this is not even for us. This is only when there's a kingdom. Or some people say, this is only for the nation of Israel. It has nothing to do with the church. But what we see really is what we call moral principles, righteous living for those who belong to Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeing. We actually call this the platform of the king. And one day Jesus Christ will come as the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will rule in righteousness and justice. This first part of the, the Sermon on the Mount really is called the Beatitudes, and it's more of a description of those in the kingdom. How do we as believers live? How are we supposed to live? And we actually see the character and the influence of those within the kingdom. So all of us who have trusted in Christ, even though Jesus is Jewish, he's talking to the 12 guys, there's all Jewish people around, and, he's, and they're still under Mosaic law, he is still teaching them, and the principles and truths that he teaches are those that all of us can know and apply because they're righteous living for believers. Now, most of you probably have never heard of a guy named Jerry Clower. Jerry, if you're older, you probably have. He was a comedian. He was from Yazoo City, Mississippi, and he was on like the Grand Ole Opry. He was one of those kind of comedians. He played football at Mississippi State. And he, when, when I was coaching there, he was pretty much famous. He had all kind of records. He was just a Christian comedian, and he was really good. And we would have him come at the first, at, during two-a-days. They don't do two-a-days anymore. We used to have two-a-days. And one day after practice, we would have Jerry Clara come in and tell some of his stories. And he actually was really, really funny. He, played, he was from Beat 4, Mississippi, which has maybe 50 people in it. And he, he said the first football game he ever saw, he played in. And so uh, that's, that's the kind of guy he was. When Mississippi State was playing Baylor years ago, he tells a story. He said he lined up. There was an All-American lineman across from him. And the All-American lineman looked at him and said, You know, the meek shall inherit the earth. Get ready. You're about to get your share. And that's what he said. So what does it mean? And then I always, he was so funny, but the, uh, what does it mean? The meek will inherit the earth. What does that mean? Who are the meek? When will this happen? In fact, if you look at the verse, it doesn't say the meek inherit the earth. It says the meek will or shall inherit the earth. How does this fit? How does the Sermon on the Mount, how do the Beatitudes, how does this fit in our lives? Well, we're going to see it. And we've been looking, of course, in this gospel at the life of Jesus Christ. We know each of the gospels presents Jesus in a different way. Matthew presents him as the king. Mark presents him as a servant. Luke presents him as a man. And John presents him as God. So as we see Matthew's presentation of Jesus, we're seeing that he's showing him as the king of the Jews. We saw the, the very beginning of the book in the background. He traces the lineage of Jesus Christ from Abraham through David. He's got, if he's going to be the king of the Jews, you've got to be related to Abraham and to David. We saw his birth. We saw his protection. We saw him come back. We saw him go to John the Baptist and be baptized in front of people identifying with the, the mankind because he's the Savior. We saw him go into the wilderness under the temptation. And then we saw the beginning of his ministry. And if you remember in Matthew chapter five, chapter 4, verse 23, here's the ministry of Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogue. So he was teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He is uh, proclaiming and, and, uh, the message. And then he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so we saw that he was teaching 
proclaiming the gospel and healing people. We talked about our ministry is to teach the Bible, our ministry is to proclaim the gospel, and our ministry is to help meet needs. And so we saw last time that Jesus went on, up on us out of a hill. We, it doesn't show it in the Gospel of Matthew, but in the other Gospels, Jesus goes up and he spends the night in prayer. He comes back down off the side of the hill and chooses 12 guys out of all these people. He says, James, John, Matthew, and he picks them, and he sits down with them, and he's going to teach them. Now, this large crowd is there, so everybody's listening to what he's going to say, but he's actually teaching his disciples, and what he's going to teach them is, how do we live righteously in a fallen world? And there's some really hard parts, and we've been talking about this, that the Gospel of Matthew has a lot of hard parts, that in chapter 5 and chapter 13 and chapters 24 and 25. So there's a lot of things there. He's instructing his disciples. We give you the outline that you can't read it. It's a little too small. But the bottom line is the subjects of the kingdom is 5, 6, and 7. He talks about their character. That's the Beatitudes. He talks about their influence as lights in the world. And then we're going to see he's going to start talking about the platform, and he's going to talk about he fulfills the law. And we're going to talk about not only the Mosaic law but the moral law. And then he gives an interpretation, and he shows what the Pharisees and the religious leaders thought about murder and adultery and divorce. But he's going to correct it because he's going to say, you have heard it said this, but I say to you. You. And then he goes down and he corrects all this stuff about giving and praying and fasting and well, and he does the same thing. And then finally, toward the end, he says, This is how you pray. This is how righteousness, this is access to the kingdom. This is how you deal with false teachers. This is the true foundation. So we're going to see that. It's going to take a little bit to go through this because Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you have a Bible like mine and the writing is in red, Jesus, it, it, well, you've got three chapters where Jesus is just teaching. And so when we did the very first part, he's the first part is the subjects, that's who we're talking about, and then the rest of it is his teaching, which we call the platform. Now, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ has come to the Jewish nation, as we read this, and he's offered himself as the king of the Jews. In fact, he's going to end up at the very end, sort of almost the end of the book, he's going to come into the city riding on a donkey, which fulfills Zechariah 9.9 9, that says the king of Israel comes lowly, riding on a donkey. He's going to come one final time and offer himself to the nation of Israel. They're going to reject him. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. He's going to walk on the earth, and he's going to send back to heaven. One of these days, he's coming again. Now, we've talked about this before. This is his first coming, where he came to the earth to die on the cross to pay for sins, and he did. He paid for sins. He rose again. He ascended back into heaven. We're in the church age. There's going to be a rapture where Jesus Christ is going to come get us. There'll be a seven-year tribulation. Following that tribulation, Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to set up a kingdom, and that kingdom will be called, we call it the millennial kingdom because it lasts for a thousand years. Jesus Christ is talking about how do we live as believers, and what he's really dealing with is the kingdom. And yet the principles, what he does is what we call the moral law. It's how people lived before the cross, how we live now, how you're supposed to live, and how we're going to live in the kingdom. It's righteous living of believers. And it's talking about moral law. And we'll talk more about that as we go through it. And as we as we get into this, let me raise uh, two questions that we, we, we looked at last week. And that is, to whom is this addressed? Who is he talking to? What's the subject? Well, we know he's talking to his 12 disciples. Everybody else is listening, the crowd is all gathered around. And then, of course, we can look at this and say, how can we make application? The second is, what is the subject? The subject is righteous living. These truths are for all believers of all time. Now, some of it is a little bit hard, because remember, he's still writing to people under the Mosaic Law, and so some of the things that he says is a little bit different. Now, we're talking about lifestyle of believer. Remember this, 
lifestyle of a believer has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. It is not how we live that has anything to do with salvation. Right? Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we know that salvation is simply by faith. John three sixteen. whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. But this is lifestyle for believers. And so we could put it this way. Believers are to live in a certain way. We're to be characterized or to be characterized by righteous living. And so as we look at this and as we look at these Beatitudes and we're going to start, we'll go back to verse 3. We looked at verse 3 last week, but we'll go through these through verse 9. In every one of these, there is a blessing, a description, and a promise. The blessing is blessed are these, and then he gives a description, blessed are these who mourn now, something, and then there's a promise. So we'll see that as we go through it. Now something that you may not have noticed, and we brought it out the last couple of weeks, is this. When you see the Beatitudes, if you notice verse 3, look at it with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is its present tense we talked about it last week when you're poor in spirit theirs is now the kingdom of heaven but if you start noticing verses four five six seven eight nine blessed are those who mourn for they shall it's future verse five they shall inherit the earth it's future verse six they shall be satisfied and so what we see is in verse three is present verses four five six seven eight nine it's future, and we'll talk more about that. Now, in this whole concept, there's the idea of moral law. And when people say law, they get confused. Oftentimes when we say law, people think about the Mosaic law, and that's true, because at a point in time, Jesus Christ, or at a point in time when the Jewish people came out, and they went to Mount Sinai, and Moses went up on the mountain, and they gave them the Ten Commandments, and then ultimately there's 613 commandments. That was a law with a nation of Israel. From Adam and Eve to Moses, there was no Mosaic law. There was a moral law, certain things right and wrong. Under the Mosaic law, there was the first part, the Ten Commandments and everything else, were called a moral law. And then after Jesus died on the cross, he's the end of the law to all who believe. We're not under the Mosaic law, but there is a moral law. There are rights and wrongs. And in the New Testament, it's sometimes called the law of Christ or the law of love. It's righteous principles. How do we as believers live righteously and godly? We saw last week that they came to Jesus and asked him the big question. They tried to trick him. They said, what's the, what's the best of the law? What's the, what's the top law of the 613? They thought they would get him because no matter what Jesus said, they would name another one of the laws. But he said, oh, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. That's the greatest one. And the second one is the same to it. You should love your neighbors yourself. He said, all the other commandments hinge on this, loving God and loving others. Let me tell you, if you love God and love others, you will live righteously and godly. You will complete or you will live out the moral law, the rights and wrongs, loving God and loving others. So let's see where we were. Last week we started at first, it says, Jesus saw the crowds, verse 5, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Remember, in the other gospels, he's just picked these guys. He's just picked the twelve. And it goes on to say, he opened up his mouth and began to teach them, saying, and we saw the first one last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the very first one is the poor in spirit. The word blessed literally means happy or have divine favor. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We would say it this way, blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit. It is, has the idea when a person realizes that they are spiritually bankrupt and they need a savior. Blessed are those who realize that they need a savior, that they can't make it on their own. 
truth is that we realize that we're spiritually needy, that we got to have a Savior. We fall short of the God's glory. All of sinning comes short of the glory of God. We see ourselves as sinners, and we cannot save ourselves. We talked last week about the two people that went to the temple. One was a tax collector. One was a Pharisee. The Pharisee went there and said, Thank you, Lord. I'm not like that guy over there. What a chump he is. I always try to do everything right. And then the guy over here says, oh, Lord, I'm not even worthy to look at you. I come to you and understand that I'm bankrupt and I need you and I need a Savior. And the Bible says, which one of those two went down justified? Not the Pharisee, but the man who humbled himself and said, I'm poor in spirit. For all of us in this room, the only way that we have eternal life is not by saying, look what I've done, Lord. We come to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we say, I can't do it. I can never measure up. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to give me eternal life, and I'm trusting Him to save me. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of God. That The promise is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That, that's present tense, and it means we would say the kingdom of heaven is the same as having eternal life, that we're having a relationship being with Jesus Christ. And it's, it's by faith. It's not by works. And we saw this last week, the one, a person must realize they need a Savior, and they trust in Jesus Christ. So they're poor in spirit. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you recognize, that we all recognize that we're poor in spirit, and we can't save ourselves. We can't do good enough. We trust in Jesus Christ. So the very first thing is, do we realize we cannot save ourselves and trust in Christ? Now, the next, and we're going to see these next ones, I'll give the blessing. It talks about what happens, but it says something's going to be in the future. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So he blessed mourns. The word mourn means to be upset. It means to be grieved. And let me tell you, when you realize you're bankrupt and you need a Savior, you, you grieve. And when we look at our fallen world, and here we are, we have eternal life and we're saved, and yet we look out and we see our own sin. Guys, uh, if I raise, asked you to raise your hand, if anybody sinned today, everybody in this room would raise your hand. So when we look at it, we say, I still sin. I still fall short of the glory of God. And then we look at our world and we go, oh my gracious, look at it. We mourn over the sin in a fallen world, not only in our personal life, but we look at it as sin, the fall, our personal sins, the sins of the world. And we look at it and we mourn and we say, I wish it wasn't this way. I wish there wasn't hatred. I wish there wasn't division. I wish there wasn't murder. I wish there wasn't lying. I wish people could get along. I wish people didn't do these sort of things. I wish I didn't do these things. I wish I didn't have these thoughts. I wish. And so we say, he says, blessed are those who mourn. What's going to happen? For they will be comforted. It's future. There's a comfort coming because when you read in Isaiah 40, he says, comfort, oh, comfort my people. There's going to come a time that when Jesus Christ comes as the king and says of the kingdom, we're going to be comforted. There'll be the time at which we look out there and we won't see the same things we see now. Now, it's not going to be perfect in the kingdom. It's going to be perfect in the eternal state. But the kingdom is going to be amazing because Jesus Christ is the king and he's going to rule in righteousness and justice. And, and so we say, wow, one of these days, one of these days, this world is not going to be like this. We mourn, but blessed are those who look at the world and go, oh, my gracious, they shall be comforted. Are we grieved by our sin? In a sinful world. That's what he's talking about. The third one, look at it a little further down here is verse, it's verse 5. He says, Blessed are the gentle, 
for they shall inherit the earth. And, and some translations, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I put both, gentle and meek. It, the word meek means power under control. See, when you say the word meek, and when that funny story by Jerry Clower, that he says, the meek shall inherit the earth, well, you're meek because I'm fixing to run all over you and you're going to get your face in the dirt. We laugh at that. But the word meek doesn't mean that you're, you're weak. The word meek means power under control. It means you have power, but you submit to authority. You come under the Savior. That's what it really means. It's power under control. Jesus was called meek. Moses was called the meekest man on the earth. And we recognize that Jesus Christ is our authority, and we submit to his authority. That's what it means to be meek. And by the way, that's humility. We talked about this in the SBI class on, on last Wednesday night because we're looking at angels and demons. And, and the only way you can have victory over the fallen world system and Satan and the battle is you humble yourself and come under the authority of God, draw near to him, put on the armor of God, and you can have victory. He says here, blessed are those, the meek, the ones who come under authority, for they, it's future, the promise is what? They will inherit the earth. Listen, when you come under the authority and serve Jesus Christ, one of these days, when he comes as the king, you're going to be rewarded. You remember? Well done, good and faithful servant. And, he, and he's going to say, take this, and he's going to reward us all. So humility results in exaltation. That's what you find all throughout the Scripture. The Scripture says he always humbles the proud, but he exalts the humble. And that's a great truth. The promise is one day we will inherit the earth, which means we'll have places of authority. We will rule with Jesus Christ. And so when we recognize that Jesus Christ is our authority, we can't live the Christian life without him, we come under his authority. One of these days, when we stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, inherit this that is prepared for you. And so this next one, are we coming under the authority of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ? So, so far we've seen blessed are the poor in spirit, because right now, nothing in ourselves, we trust in Christ, we, the kingdom, we, we're in the kingdom now. Blessed are those who mourn over the sin, because one of these days in the future we'll be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, who are gentle, who come under God's authority. One of these days in the future, we will inherit the earth, and we'll be in part of that kingdom and rule there. Look at the next one in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. By the way, it's future. They shall be satisfied. You seek righteousness. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. Listen, as those who are believers, we want to live. How do we want to live? You want to live in sin? You don't want to live in sin. We all say, listen, we want to live righteously and godly. We want to pursue righteousness. There is a desire. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, you may say, and, and I could say, I don't always hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, I'm just kind of doing my own thing. But no, the bottom line is we should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, train yourself to be a godly person. We're to go after righteousness. As he says, as the deer pants for the water, so we pursue our God and our Savior and to live righteously and godly. He says, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're going to be satisfied in the future. Satisfied. You know what the word satisfied means? It's a Greek word that means a gorged animal. It means an animal that's ate so much, they're just so full. It's sort of how we all were last Sunday night when we left the Thanksgiving party. We, we were all full, and that's what that word means. It means to be full. He says you hunger and thirst for righteousness in one of these days you're going to be satisfied because you're going to be with Jesus Christ and he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he rules in righteousness and justice. 
Psalm 2 says, when he comes, he rules with a rod of iron in righteousness and justice is beautiful. And so, it's, so we, we will live with Jesus Christ in the kingdom as he rules as the righteous King of kings and Lord of lords. So here's the question. Are we pursuing, hungering, and thirsting after living righteously? And then in verse 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is showing compassion. That's what it really is. And, and that's what we who belong to Jesus Christ, that's how we're to be characterized. We are to be reaching out to a hurting world. That's what showing mercy is. Listen, there's sometimes we'll go right past somebody, but there's other people who'll go, how can I help? What can I do? That's mercy. Mercy is compassion and action. And he says, blessed are those who show mercy. We're reaching out to people. Listen, in our community, I mean, we just, we collected a hundred, I think close, 175 coats to take all over, not only Stillwater, but Pawnee and, 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 and Agra and, uh, uh, I mean, I don't even know all the places. I mean, five or six towns around here. And, and we call people and they'll say, oh, they're children, they don't have any coats. Well, we got coats. Do you have this size? Yes, we got this size. And those children get, that's called showing mercy. That's, that's what you've done. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're to reach out in a fallen world and to show the mercy of our God and Savior. It's to believers and unbelievers, people who need help. Listen, we've already been shown mercy. Not by works of righteousness we've done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, It's not according to our sins. Great is his mercy to us. So we show mercy now. And he says, here's the promise. We're going to receive mercy. Listen, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you are not getting what you deserve. What do we deserve? Death and separation. When we stand before our Savior, we're not getting what we deserve. We're getting the mercy and the grace of God. Let me tell you what he did. See, I've sinned and come short of the glory of God. Instead of pouring out his justice on me, he poured it out on Jesus. God deals with Jesus. He poured out his wrath, not on us, but on Jesus. And he pours out on me his grace and his mercy. So blessed are those who show mercy because we're going to receive mercy. Are we showing mercy to a fallen world? We've just got a couple more. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. The word pure means clean on the inside. I mean, that's what he's saying. It has that idea of righteousness and holiness. Now listen, the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, God makes you righteous. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, new things are come. We've been given righteousness of God and all of that. That's, that's called justification. But there's an aspect of sanctification, which is the Christian life, which is living out who we are. And what we want to do is live out to be pure and righteous people because one of these days when he comes to get us, He's going to change us completely, and we'll get to be with him. Notice what he says. Blessed are the pure in heart, the ones that are living, because they're going to see God, because we'll get to be with him. We'll see, the only way to get to be with him and see him is to be righteous. He's going to sanctify us completely. The moment we trust Christ, we're set apart. We grow in the grace and knowledge as we live the Christian life, and then one day, as we are pure and righteous, trying to live as pure and righteous people, one day we'll be with him and see him. And that's what he's talking about. So are we seeking to be pure and holy men and women in our fallen world? 
growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, there's one more we look at this morning. It's verse 9 where he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Literally, it says, blessed are those who bring peace. Now, let me tell you, this is not talking about a guy that breaks up a fight. This is not talking about, hey, 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 we all need to get along. This is not what this is talking about. Peacemakers are those who proclaim the way of having peace. That's the salvation message. See, we tell the message of salvation. People are enemies of God. All of sheep like sheep have gone astray, each one in their own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We tell them how they can have peace with God. And when they put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. We get to tell people how they can have peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what we get to do. Literally the ones who bring peace. We tell people, the, and the promise, of course, that we tell people how they can have peace. The promise is future. They shall be called sons of God. This is what we are. We're children of God, and we're the ones that get to take the message of Jesus Christ. So are we taking the message of Jesus Christ into this world? Think of the greatest privilege of all. And we talked about it in the grow groups. We talked about it uh, in our grow group time earlier this morning. And we talked about the fact that we have the grace message of salvation, that salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ. And whoever believes in him has eternal life. And when they believe in him, they now have peace with God. We get to go into our community and our world with that message. That's what we're supposed to do. So we've seen the characteristics so far. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, that's the ones who realize we're bankrupt and we have the kingdom. Those who mourn now when we look at the sin and the fallen world and ourselves, and one day we'll be comforted when we see him. Those, those who are gentle, that means we come under his authority. Well, one of these days, we, he will exalt us and we'll have uh, a place of responsibility. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, we're going to be satisfied one day because we're going to live in a righteous world. Those who show mercy, we will be shown mercy ourselves when we reach out to people, we, we see the mercy of God. Those who are pure in heart, trying to live righteously and godly in a fallen world, we'll see him because he's going to make us holy. And then the peacemakers, we get to take the message to a fallen world and we're children of God. So Jesus describes these characters. We're not through because if you notice, you say, well, wonder why you stopped there. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. It's past tense. Up to this point, he's been saying future, future, future. Now he's going to say, what about what's happened in the past? What's going to happen? And we'll see that in the next week or two. Well, actually, we'll see it next week and then a little further on. We'll keep going. Righteous living in a fallen world. So let me give you an application. Let's take the time to study the Beatitudes. Now think about this. We're going to go quickly through this. Do we realize we're poor in spirit and need a Savior? I hope and pray that every one of you in this room that you understand that you cannot save yourself, that your works will never measure up. You can try to be all the good you can be, but we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we need a Savior. We are bankrupt. We're poor in spirit. We need a Savior. I hope and pray that everyone in this room has put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they have eternal life. They have the Savior, okay? Do we grieve at our sinful world and our personal sin? One day we'll be comforted. When we look around and say... I fall short all the time. Look at the world we live in. One day we'll be comforted. Are we under the authority of our Savior serving Him? Because one day, that's the meek, one day we will rule with Him on the earth. Are we seeking righteousness by living by the Word of God? One day we'll be satisfied. 
Are we merciful to others, reaching out with compassion? Because one of these days, God's going to show us the mercy, of course. He's already shown it to us, but even in the future. Are we holy and pure, which comes simply by faith, but one day we'll see God. And then last but not least, are we taking the message that brings peace? Because we're God's children, and we get to tell people how they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Notice that right now, when you take, when you realize that you're poor in spirit and you trust in Christ, theirs is the kingdom. We're in the kingdom. In the future, we'll be comforted. There will be rulership, righteousness, mercy, holiness, and peace. May we live out who we are.